Few franchises in the NBA are as closely tied as the Thunder and Clippers. When the two teams play as they will this week in Oklahoma City, the on-court connections are clear. The Clippers feature James Harden, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, all former Thunder stars. And current Oklahoma City star Shea Gildas-Alexander played a supporting role as a Clippers rookie. More importantly, of course, PG and SGA were traded for one another. And it's the strands of that deal that form the connective web between these franchises. The Thunder owns the Clippers' first-round draft pick in June and LA's first-rounder in 2026 and the right to swap first-round picks with the Clippers in 2025 and 2027. So for all the fond feelings Thunder fans might have for the trio of ex-Oklahoma Cityans in Los Angeles, there's reason to root for a Clippers collapse. And though the Clippers have warm memories of SGA, there's no incentive to help his Thunder roster get any better moving forward. There's nobody better to talk to about all of this than Andrew Greif. He covers the Clippers for the Los Angeles Times, and he's one of the very best beat writers in the NBA. Not only is he locking down coverage of the current Clippers, but he was on the beat in the early days of SGA. Today, we're looking back at Shea's origin story in the NBA and ahead to where the Clippers and those Thunder picks are headed. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. Before we get started, thanks to these sponsors for supporting our show, MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. All right, so let's bring in Andrew Greif. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. I see that Southern California sunshine sort of out your window. Yeah, it's uh, pretty nice to be. I mean, I came from Oregon, where it's right now. I looked at the forecast; it's, it's it's typical gray, never above fifty. So here, I think the low is about fifty. So I will take it every single day. Yeah, it's you know I, when I lived in LA, the one thing like this time of year bummed me out just a little. You know, I was looking back at some pictures the other day of like uh, lamp posts on Manhattan Beach with like the the wreaths on them and the beaches in the background, and it's like seventy two, and you're kind of like. This doesn't really feel like Christmas to me, but other than that, pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. We were just on a little island with like a boat parade the other day. I was in, my son was in shorts and I was like, this is something I didn't grow up with. Um, so yeah. we will take it. Yeah. A little different. So Andrew, we got a lot to talk about and I want to kind of jump into it. And I feel like it's kind of funny. I feel like you have had three seasons already within this NBA season that you've covered. You had, are they going to get James Harden season? And then you had, maybe they're actually bad with James Harden season. And now you're, you're smack into like, maybe they're actually awesome with James Harden. So I wonder just kind of what the, what the season has been like to this point covering these guys. Yeah. I mean, training camp was, um, everyone knew that the James Harden trade was kind of looming over things and team officials, even in like August were thinking they, they might be able to get him in a trade right before training camp. Uh, then that didn't happen. So, but even, even then training camp, the vibes were great. I mean, the team was really, uh, everything was, you know, in front of the cameras, but also behind the scenes, everyone was saying, this is a really good group. Like we're really focused. Um, and then the trade happens about three games into the season. And really that starts the second season when they were going through their mishmash of what, who works with whom, uh, what rotations work that took about two weeks. Uh, when they changed the starting lineup on November 17th, you know, Russell Westbrook to the bench, Terrence Mann to the starting unit. And then PJ Tucker was effectively benched soon thereafter. Um, they, they basically found their rotations and 
I know this an eight game winning streak, but it really goes back to a, a couple games before that when they blew out Sacramento on the road and they said, this is the blueprint. This is how yeah. we can do it. And that for me is sort of the beginning of what we're seeing right now. And, and yeah, I mean, like I know a lot of people were skeptical, um, even in house about, you know, the, the hard acquisition and what it could look like early on. But, uh, he has been, especially last night when they, he hits eight three pointers, he does a snow angel celebration yeah. on the sideline. It's that's pretty much the ideal of what they were hoping for. Very festive. It's really, you know, very seasonal. I liked it a lot. Um, I think around here, what's sort of interesting because people have followed the Clippers. We're going to talk about this obviously are loaded with former thunder. That's kind of like what they have uh, high in their rotation. Um, and, and it's interesting that the trades for some of these guys um, and the, the, the dynamics of them changing teams, certainly for Harden, somewhat for Russ after leaving here, they were much more kind of dramatic trade processes, mm -hmm. all of them for Harden. Um, the Westbrook thing in LA, people here watched very closely because people here follow Russ very closely. And it was interesting because it was not a, not a, not a great exit from Los Angeles to, from the Lakers. Um, it was not a great tenure there. And there was some, you, you probably remember well, the, I, my back is probably hurt because I'm not used to being benched and having to come off the bench and sitting so much. And so I think there was great interest in how Russ was going to take this part of, because the very logical thing was to sit Russ, that he didn't work in that starting lineup. Um, and it seems from the outside to have gone pretty well. Can you, can you give us any insight into how true that is when, as you talk about when the cameras are off? Yeah. I mean, Russell was very frustrated um, by going to the bench. Uh, uh, I think that it was not something that he would have drawn up uh, necessarily, but he has, and we saw it last night when in Indiana, when Harden is going off and Russ is doing his cooking celebration that we haven't seen for years. Um, I, I think that he's sort of come to a place of acceptance and that right now it is about a bigger thing um, than just where his minutes are. I think that he's been, extremely effective sort of in these smaller doses than we've seen before. And I think for me, it's a callback to last season when he joined the Clippers at mid season and they, they effectively told him, look, we're so glad you're here. We love you here. We've, you know, so many players and coach Tyloo lobbied for him to be signed. But then when they got here, he said, well, we, we really need you to play inside some parameters, you know, like early clock early shot clock, please don't take pull up jump shots. Uh, you know, please be more careful with the ball. And he, he played very well. I mean, he helped them stay competitive in the first round series against Phoenix, even after Kawhi uh, was injured. And obviously they didn't have Paul George in that series. That's why he came back because he felt really loved and, and trusted here and wanted and, and places like the Lakers where he did not feel any of that. Um, so having Harden come in and sort of usurp him in his role obviously was a sting. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now is as things, you know, winning cures everything. I think you're seeing the parts start to understand their roles and their pieces. And there's really no longer any questions about, well, what am I? Last year, I was a starting point guard. Um, this year, I'm sort of this bench, but I'm, maybe I close, but maybe I don't play a whole quarter. I think everyone knows their role now. And that's why the Clippers make that trade on Halloween instead of by midseason when you're trying to do that process with 20 games left. It's a nightmare. Um, they were betting that they could get, get those kinks out in November. And that's what's happened. How, how much concern was there internally, if you know, about Russ and about him just accepting it and how it would look if he didn't? Yeah, I think there was obviously you're dealing with four future Hall of Famers and there's a lot of concern about um, how 
not, and not just Russ, um, but yeah. how everyone was sort of feeling themselves out and, and walking on eggshells for much of November. I remember there was a game in Dallas. They'd lost their third straight with Harden in the lineup and talking with Kawhi and Harden after the game about how I sort of said to them, like, this is really strange for you because for the last decade of your careers, and these are separate conversations, you have known exactly what your role is on this team. Mm-hmm. You have known every team you go to, you know exactly what your role is. You're going to be the guy, option number one. And they said, yeah. And and now we're sort of um, trying to figure out where do we stand, not just game by game, but possession by possession sometimes. So that was a huge process. I think everyone was walking on eggshells to see how Kawhi, how Paul George, how Harden would deal. With Ross, it was no different. Um, you know, you want him to be his most productive self. Um, and, and you really saw that last year when it was feeling like there was an inclusion with the Clippers that really sparked that for him, um, feeling like, again, he was wanted there. I think the key for Russ has been showing them that he's still wanted, um, absolutely, but it has to be in a different role. It just has to be. Mm-hmm. And it was about a week ago now that Ty Lue basically separated Westbrook's minutes from Harden's entirely first game and really the only game that he's done that where he's just one is sub for the other. They've never overlapped for even a second on the court. Uh, it really worked. They've, they basically overlap extremely minimal, maybe four or five minutes per game now. And it's worked. Um, so I think Russ has even said publicly that this is not necessarily what um, he imagined, but that he's going along with it. And maybe that's maturity. Um, maybe that's the last situation not turning out well um, for him. It's in that perspective. But, you know, as we talk now in mid-December, it's working. Right, right. It's so interesting to me because I don't, I don't know. You're, you're close to the Clippers. You're around them every day in the way that I'm around the Thunder every day. And we're around these fan bases. Uh, and for the Thunder fan base, there's obviously this great incentive to want the Clippers to fail. There's a little bit of conflict because Russ is still a beloved figure here. Um, Paul George, a little less so. James Harden, probably a little less so, less so. If you go down the, you know, in, in the pecking order of Thunder favorites. But Thunder fans are very incentivized to want the Clippers to fail because of the draft pick situation, because they've got two picks and two swaps coming up. And so, you know, there's always a little scoreboard watching. There's a little standings watching. There were some good feelings uh, when the Clippers were struggling. There's some less good feelings now. And I don't know, like on a day-to-day basis, are the Thunder, is that connection one way? Is there any thought about the way those two teams are connected out in Los Angeles? Well, only in the sense that um, you look at what Shea has done in Oklahoma City, and it's obviously the path not taken. Um, Doc Rivers even mentioned this on a recent podcast. I think I heard it was the Bill Simmons podcast where he was asked straight up, did you try to convince Kawhi that Shea could be your number two? You know, we don't need Paul. And, you know, as Doc told it, that he said that, yeah, we, we sort of tried that route, but he didn't take it because it was the question of, well, how long will it take to have him turn into this kind of guy, this have this confidence come true in, in who he could be? Um, so I think that's really the only, uh, you know, thought about the OKC side of things. Um, it's just, and it's not even really, I think, a, like a despair about, uh, oh, you know, about Shea and what could we have taken it? There's some right. of that, but I think it's almost like a, a pride, like the fans, at least that I see this small slice of fandom there. It's almost like that was our guy. And we're so happy yeah. to see him thriving. And we saw it during the first round upset, you know, the records heading come back against the Warriors when Shea was brilliant and sort of, you saw the seeds of what it could be. He was an all NBA rookie. Um, so I think it's more of like a, 
we're so happy he's found a good home right. <laughs> type of right. attitude around Shea more so, um, wow, we royally screw this up by sending out all these picks. Right. I want, I want to get to the Shea connection and the, the, the Shea season and all that stuff. Cause I know you were there, uh, for those play for just kind of watching him mature some that first year. And I want to get to that. Um, but while, while we're on the subject of this connection, the one thing that's very true of the Clippers um, relative to Oklahoma City is because they owe so much out to the Thunder, and, and for many other reasons, like one, you just want to be good, and two, you're building an arena and there's a lot of stuff happening. The Clippers are very incentivized to be good. There is never an incentive now for the Clippers to struggle. And so I do think like from that, I think that's the way the Thunder sort of matters to them, right? Only in the sense that like, your future is out the door, so you have to focus on winning now. Yeah, Ballmer does not want to be um, especially opening. I think this is even true before he was marketing and opening a $2 billion arena that he's funding himself. But he really does not want to be in a position of rebuilding uh, and turning off fans um, in a market where you really need to be the hot ticket to sort of have a real following. Um, I, I really think that they are so... You know, they, they want to shake that perennial loser reputation from years before, from decades before, so badly that I don't think Ballmer has any interest in uh, being a team that sort of scrapes by. And uh, the, the small slices that we've seen it are those very quick rebuilds, like 2018. Again, Shea's rookie year when um, they trade away Chris Paul. You know, Jeffrey Jordan's not there. Blake Griffin is just gone. And it's a very quick bottom. And it's not even a, a real like rock bottom. They get the eighth seed in the playoffs. The year before, they barely missed the playoffs, but they're still 41 and 41, and then they get Kawhi. So I think that's about as far as the appetite goes to be um, a middle of the road to bad team in the NBA. To bottoming out is not something that someone as competitive as Steve Ballmer is, as fanatical as he is, uh, that, that not, not a part of his appetite at all. Is it, you know, you talk about kind of wanting to shake that reputation. Um these are very different markets. Uh, the Thunder is, you know, in Oklahoma City, they know what they are. Uh, they know that free agency is not a route for them. You know, like they have to do what they did in building this team, which is uh, hit in the draft uh, and hit in the trade market. And so, you know, that's what they're able to do. They're able to have assets that people want. And Paul George gets them Shea Gildas Alexander. The Clippers don't have to do that sort of thing. They don't have to do that kind of calculation because it does seem like a place that even if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the long term aren't there. It seems like the kind of place where they can go get someone else. And yet, the one thing I do wonder about, you know, I lived there for a year. And for people who don't know about this, like, you know, Kawhi, when he was signed, went to a Dodgers game and got booed. Uh, his first home game, he was loudly booed because it was a home game against the Lakers. And the Lakers had, a, if not a majority of the fans, really close to it. Uh, and so, how do they do that? I, I think maybe distancing themselves in terms of the building helps. Um, but what is what do the Clippers do to become more than sort of the the afterthought there to the Lakers? Well, I mean, it all hinges on winning, right? I mean, that's why the Lakers were this popular for years. They won, and for a generate for for multiple generations, they won championships. You know, in the seventies, the eighties, uh, the two thousands. I mean, they won. So that's why they have become the brand that they are. And it's not just the showtime, not just the way they play, but you have to back it up with substance. There's so many teams in LA that win championships. I mean, you saw LAFC was just in the MLS Cup last weekend. Um, I mean, there, there's so many examples of that where yeah, even the Rams, you know, it's like they win the Super Bowl and then a couple, couple years, within a couple of years, it's like, well, why aren't you back there? Um, yeah. There's kind of this, right. this appetite for um, 
you, you must be excellent because we do have these resources in LA. We do have this sort of this draw for players and for the top coaches and executives, right? Um, with, with the Clippers, it's really interesting. I think that what they're trying to do is winning underpins it all, right? Because they have had one of the most, you know, if you look back since the CP3 era began, Lob City began, they had, I believe, if not the top record in the league, one of the top three in terms of win-loss. But they're really trying to um, seed, I think, with fans who are very young, who don't know maybe the difference between Lakers and Clippers or whose households are not beholden already to the purple and gold. They're trying to do things to create long-lasting fandom from you know elementary school. You know They've given away thousands of backpacks one year, like when Kawhi's first summer. They went to elementary schools and they gave away backpacks with their logo on it. They have more than 100 parks around the county and the city where there are Clippers logos on the backboards because the organization has helped basically refurbish the parks and put up new rims and new backboards and made it nice. And they want you to remember, this is because of the Clippers. So there are sort of initiatives like that that I think they're trying to play the long game into making it seem like um, they have a, a, a kind of a deep embedded presence. They're not just interlopers from San Diego anymore um, who kind of play at the sports arena, this weird arena near USC. Um, they have this brand new building. So they're, they're trying to sort of wed the off-court initiatives uh, with their on-court. But again, if they don't win, it really doesn't matter. And that's the biggest thing that you see on online between Lakers and Clippers fans to this day um, is sort of the pictures of, of the rafters at Crypto.com Arena. They don't have any Lakers, any Clippers banners, I should say. Um, that's what the argument always comes back to between fans. And so until they do that, it's still going to be up uphill climb. Yeah. I, I, I was always curious about the idea of changing the name. I really did think it was a good idea at one time, you know, and maybe now they've established enough that they don't need to do that. But I love the idea of just saying, let's, let's reboot, you know, call them the Hollywood Knights or, you know, something along those lines to get away from the, the Clippers. There's a famous story of, uh, I think it was Antonio McDice gets handed his Clippers hat on draft night, gets traded and hands it back to somebody and says, oh, you can have this, you know, like, I don't, I don't need this anymore. Um, and so I, I do think some of that has, has faded since the CP3 era of just like being competitive, even if they haven't won a championship. So maybe they don't need to do that anymore, but I love the idea. Like I love the concept that maybe a name change, a reboot was the thing for the Clippers. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, rebrand is something that I think gets kicked around a lot with the organization, uh, I don't know how serious they've been about it, especially going to 2024, sort of making it that clean break or not. But you've seen them try to rebrand in past years and it hasn't gone well. And I think 2014, 2015, they changed uniforms a lot and were kind of roundly um, jeered for kind of the way it, it looked. Um, so I, at this point, there maybe is so much brand equity behind, you know, the PG Kawhi, whatnot Clippers that you that you stop short of that. But um yeah, I think the, that I've heard that idea so much. Why why don't we just separate ourselves from our past and create something new? We had this opportunity in 2024. Um, I I don't think it's going to come to that, but it's I love seeing. I've seen so many different variations and like you know fan ideas and like the photoshops and some of them are sloppy and some of them look great, but it, it sort of makes you want. I'm I'm also a guy who on EA Sports College Football love to create my own team, so maybe right. that just appeals to me. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Grife State, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want so uh, the the other thing before we get la last thing I want to get into is Shea. But before we get into that, I do think when we talk about parallels and these two franchises, I think theoretically they'll be the next two franchises to open arenas. 
And it's a fascinating contrast, right? Because the Clippers will open an arena that the owner has paid for. And the Thunder will open an arena that was that will be largely funded by the public. $50 million will come from the Thunder of what will probably be a project in excess of a billion dollars. Um, what's the level of one is was there any chance that that the Clippers could get public money to build a building if they wanted to in Los Angeles? I guess is my first question. No, I don't. I think this is Balmer all the way. Um, you know, he's this is I think goes back to about 2016. Uh, the 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 idea to get this thing going and looking for land. It's taken a long time. It wasn't until really 2020 uh, when they finally settled uh, litigation with Madison Square Garden Company that owned. Right the forum in Inglewood and was, you know, upset for many reasons because they were going to be competing for different venues and dates. The, the forum is now a music venue, uh, ter a terrific music venue um, that uh, that kind of cleared the way for this to be built. And it's been amazing, the progress in basically three years. Um, excuse the, uh, the uh, siren behind me right now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. What, how they're making a, a basketball only facility. Um, you know, this is not something that's going to be multi-purpose. It's going to hold concerts, of course, but they're building this so that the seats, you know, go up 50 rows straight up into a, basically a wall that Balmer likes to talk a lot about. Um, it's, yeah, this is Balmer's vision. And, and that's why he's put basically all of his money behind it. Yeah. And so I, what I think is also sort of interesting about that is we talked about, you know, Kawhi, people boo him at a Dodger game because he didn't go to the Lakers. He gets booed in his place uh, in his home arena, uh, technically his home arena the first time he plays. And it's hard for the Clippers to build a lot of buzz because I don't know where they rank in the city in terms of sports, but it's certainly well below the Lakers and certainly well below the Dodgers. But I wonder how how is there a sense of just like, you know, around here, people are buzzing about the idea of a new arena. Is it happening there? Do you hear that sort of stuff uh, in that in in LA? There, there is buzz. I don't know how uh, widely felt it is. Uh, I do think that ticket sales will be something that's worth watching because there is going to be a novelty factor. Um, but I really don't know. You know, on three months into the season next year, kind of what the building looks like. Uh, we don't know what the team will look like. We don't know what the enthusiasm will be. I think a lot of that will hinge on this playoff run um, that, that comes up in April and May and perhaps June. That was that's going to be key for what you know fans get in the building. But they have you know great hopes for this arena. I Clippers fandom is a smaller slice. Absolutely, I think that you have to look at you know you, you mentioned Lakers, Dodgers, USC, UCLA are still remain huge draws for some of their respective sports. And then there are so many other teams in this area that I think most teams. Um, it's a meritocracy where that kind of fourth or fifth spot of whatever the, the team of the moment is really comes down to, are you winning? Are you creating that buzz? Right now the Clippers are, but we don't know that's going to be like um, past opening night. And so I don't think it's guaranteed to think that every night's going to be a sellout because uh, we just don't know right right now what the ticket sales are like. They, they're obviously very happy with how season ticket renewals have gone. Um, I took a tour with uh, the building recently and there was some excitement from the from the team officials about, the the amount to which people who already have season tickets are transferred over to the new building but you know there's still a lot of work to be done there right uh so i, I do want to talk about shay before we go um and i i don't want to ask you like did you see shay becoming an mvp candidate i you know like it's, it's an absurd question uh based on what you saw there but i, I wonder first just like you know what what was your initial what was your initial thought watching him play 
I, I, the same thing I see now where he just has this innate ability to never get sped up beyond whatever pace he wants to play at. Um, he is, and this is something that, you know, you heard from Sam Cassell, who was a Clippers assistant who really worked with him a lot his first year. And Doc, obviously being a former point guard too, had an appreciation of this, of how almost preternatural it was to be a young guy when you're having all these things thrown at you. You have, um, you know, opponents like, Pat Bev in practice, who's trying to just get under your skin and you just stay you know, pretty calm, pretty cool. Uh, that was something that stood out to people at the time who know basketball far beyond my knowledge level of the game. They just thought like, this guy just doesn't get rattled. And so if you, if that's your baseline that you can kind of keep your head about you in pretty much most environments, including Oracle arena during the Katie warrior era and leading, I believe a 31 point comeback. I mean, that's when people started to think, uh, we, is this guy untouchable? Like, do we need to make him untouchable in trade talks? Obviously, that was never the case. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you could never see him being what he is right now. But I think that it's fair to think, if I go back, I don't think it's self-aggrandizing to say that I saw him as sort of could be a, as all-NBA player. Um, maybe a first-team all-NBA player wasn't what I thought, but I thought that he would be an absolutely a stud point guard. But he's become so much more. They've become a closer, as we've seen recently. Um, he's just the head of the snake. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. He, um, you mentioned doc, the doc interview talking about, you know, trying to sway Kawhi. I talked to John Calipari before the season started and he, he knows doc well. And he said, I can assure you that when all that was going on, doc didn't want to give this guy up. This was the guy he really wanted to hold on to in the trade. And I know you said there's not like a sense of regret. It's more a sense of like happiness, uh, at least from fans of kind of what they've gotten. Um, but it is, it's wild to me to think he's the best player in the trade now. Like, it's just crazy to think about that because when Paul left here, you know, he was coming off an MVP kind of season. He, he the best season of his career. Uh, I could not have seen Shea eclipsing Paul George as a player, uh, maybe over the life of their time in the NBA, but certainly not, you know, in, in the span of four years. I, I remember the summer that they acquired Paul George, the Clippers, and that, you know, literally earthquake night in vegas uh were you there at the summer league i was i was i was at this i was at the zion game yeah i was i was too and i was actually getting pizza and i thought i hadn't eaten like all day and i was like wow this is a huge i'm having like a lot of trouble like i just felt (laughs) awful and then i was like wait though the building is shaking it's not me like uh but i remember like a month later talking just people within the organization the clippers just sort of checking in during the off season and starting there were a couple conversations i remember starting with this baseline assumption of you must, the last month must have been just like toasting champagne. What if, what if, you know, you must feel awesome. And there was this tone of, no, they're like, we I feel awful. And I was like, what do you mean? And there was this, basically it was, we had to give up Shea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were obviously thrilled that they could pull off the trade that they did, but there was still, even in that moment of you think peak honeymoon of a trade like that, or really a franchise altering trade, that there is still this sort of like, ah, oh, man, but the cost, you know, we, we, we don't know what Shea's going to be, but we really loved him. So there is, um, again, I think by now there's enough distance where it's just, you know, it's a trade that you had to make because like, most likely Kawhi was not coming uh, if it hadn't happened. So you right. accept it and you move on. I think pretty much everyone's done that. But uh, but it was it was not something that happened without people feeling um, like they'd really let go of a generational player in Shea. 
Yeah. I don't, you know, to me, I don't think there's like, that's a trade where it's hard to say like one team won the trade because as you said, the Clippers had it, the Clippers had to think of it. They had to frame it in their own minds as we're giving up this great young player to get these two players in their primes. Um, but I do wonder from a Clippers perspective, not from a necessarily winning or losing the trade thing, but this year is really important to the legacy of that trade and the legacy mm-hmm. of those players. What happens contractually with those guys moving forward? Um, in that context, just in the context of having given up this great young player and acquiring those two guys and not really having had it pay off to the degree you wanted to, I just wonder what, like, how important is this year? What's this mean? Especially, you know, you push in on Harden. Yeah, I mean, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, both free agents at the end of this year, they, they, are, they are extension eligible right now until June, basically until the last day of the, of the calendar, the NBA calendar in late June. Uh, so they can be extended at any point. Um, and, and they still can opt into next year's, um, you know, player, player extension, uh, excuse me, a player option for next year. But if they don't reach an extension, um, obviously it most makes most sense for them to hit the, hit the market, see what's out there, uh, get long, more long-term security. But I think that it's, this season really began with almost like a last dance feeling around the Clippers, or, or at least it could be a last dance because you just didn't know what the team's willingness to um, to pay Kawhi and Paul was. You know, the, they, there's there's a maximum number, <laughs> and the, the feeling all summer was that they, they were not comfortable getting to that number. It was a let's prove it. Let's we we. Uh, I think they still do, and even even in the summer when talks weren't really um, you know leading many places in terms of extension, that I think there's a feeling that hey, we could we still envision a future where we build around you two. Absolutely. Like you still are the core, but we, I think there is a feeling that we want to see it happen. We want to see us become a contending team again. We want to see you stay, stay durable and to be difference makers in terms of winning before, you know, an agreement is met. So it is a very extremely important season. Paul and Kawhi both want to stay here. You know, they're LA guys. This has been a boon for them, not just for basketball, but for being around family. They love being here. You know, the Clippers still, operate where they are the sun and the moon and they're at the center of everything that they do you know and Harden and Russ also included in that so this is a place where they're totally enmeshed and everything that happens in the organization is treated well so there's not a whole lot of incentive for them to test the market um, but it is a place where I think winning has to matter this year and, and right from the end of last season Lawrence Frank said we have to value the regular season more than we did this year you, you got that message loud and clear um, so I don't know if it it, you know, deals hinge on certain benchmarks in terms of winning, but they have to put up a good product. And, and I think it's, it's not just for the players. It's for everyone around the organization. This year means a whole lot because if you're the people who put this team together and you put this direction on track, it doesn't work out. You know, what, what does that mean? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of people who entered this year feeling a lot of pressure right now. They're feeling very good. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing you want as a franchise, if you give up a guy who becomes what Shea has become, is to also bolster his roster down the road with these with these picks and, and swaps. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an important run for them, not just to be good now, but to secure some stuff for you don't want to be bad when you move into a new building. And you certainly don't want to be giving away valuable picks to a Western Conference contender uh, in the coming years, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the doomsday scenario where not yeah. only are you at a disadvantage, but you've built up a superpower uh, because right. of it. So right. I think, you know, right now, the the trade, 
it, it, not, not directly because obviously the hardened thing is disconnected from it, but they're, they're in a place where they feel very comfortable that that, that, that has been worth it. You know, they made a conference finals one year that if, if not for an ACL, maybe they make the finals. Um, even with all those kind of caveats and, and feeling of, Hey, we really done about as well as we could in many of these years, but not for, but, but for injuries, there's still a missing piece and that's undeniable. And that's getting to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andrew, we're going to see you a couple of times coming up. I'm looking forward to it, seeing you in person. Um, and I hope you get like just kind of a fun year. The Clippers are sometimes, it has not been fun all the time lately. So I hope you get just to enjoy uh, this kind of run. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think every day is going to be snow angels, um, but it's <laughs> been, uh, I think this last couple of weeks, it's been actually interesting to see the theoretical pieces coming together because for so long, like we've said with the Clippers, it has felt like theory. What could they look like? What's the potential? Yeah. We've never really seen it because of injuries. Everyone's durable now. You're starting to see it, and that's different, and I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We're going to see it here in Oklahoma City this week. We're going to see it uh, in L.A. next month. Look forward to it. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. No problem. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. You can do that on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, leave us a, a nice comment and review. Really appreciate it. We'll be back. After the holidays, we'll talk to you then. Have a great one. Yo!